Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. I'm your host as always, Sean DeVries from Open Pantry Consulting. It's so good to have you on board, so thanks for tuning in for another episode. Now today we chat with Sylvie who owns a fantastic Italian restaurant in California called Love and Salt. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. It, uh, it falls in line with our new Californian series and I hope you're really getting something out of it. This is a fantastic chat today with someone who's been in the business for such a long time. So tune in, let me know what you think and enjoy. Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast. Amazing to have you on another episode also amazing to talk to Sylvie Gabrielle from Love and Salt all the way over in California, the owner of Love and Salt. Sylvie, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Sean. Appreciate it. Now, it's really exciting to, to start to talk to uh, more and more American brands. And, and over the last week or so, Sylvie, that I've, I've known that I've got to be interviewing you, I've delved really deeply into to Love and Salt and also your history and the family history around restaurants and hospitality. Uh, I know that Love and Salt has had a has had a really great history with inside those four walls and obviously what you've been doing since the ownership in 2014. Can you just give the audience just a bit of that history itself so, so they have some context and understanding because it's such a great story? Salt is Italian-inspired, um, really, you know, neighbourhood, uh, neighborhood restaurant mm-hmm. that, you know, embodies, I guess, the love and, you know, Los Angeles and California cuisine, um, but really in the style of Los Angeles dining. So, uh, you know, we're, our, the restaurant is friendly, um, approachable, yet, you know, has a, a certain, I guess, a, approach to food that, you know, is chef-driven, ingredient driven, um, just taking a lot of, putting a lot of love into the food and, you know, to what we offer both, you know, food wise, you know, our, our wine mm-hmm. our service, just our whole approach. Um, so that's kind of where the name came from as well. But, um, so we have a long history of, of rest, you know, kind of being in this space and total, I think I'm going to say 1977. So almost what are we at? Forty something years now. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Mm. So, and I grew up in this space um, for that time, so it's been amazing. How was it growing up in that space? Can you remember some of your fairly first sort of interactions with inside that restaurant with your with your father? Was was that something that's really apparent to you now? Yeah, yeah, I definitely. Um, so, I guess like the very first memory that I had was before the restaurant opened and kind of coming in and he was in the process of construction and there was piles of concrete and rubble and there was nothing there and I had no idea what was going on <laughs> and except for that I just wanted to climb in the rubble and um, and kind of make get a, get messy yes. um, and so you know then here comes the construction the build out of a restaurant um, which I was part of, you know, I, 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 I was forced to kind of be a part of because that's what you do when you're a restaurant family, you know, you yeah. kind of are there, it's kind of day and night. Um, and that was kind of as, you know, young and, uh, and then as the restaurant evolved, you know, of course it became my, my many meals, um, were at, 
well, at the time, it was called Le Crepierre, wow. which was the crepe maker, and it was just crepes, and then it evolved into something a little bit more fine dining. Wow. But, you know, yeah, so as it evolved, it became, you know, it was like part of my family meal, and then, um, and then as I got older and kind of could be, you know, in the restaurant, um, you know, my dad would have my brother and I hanging out while he was working. And, um, one of the funniest memories I think that we have that we share is I can't recall exactly how old I was, maybe 10 or 11. And, uh, I was in the restaurant and it was really busy. Um, and my father began looking for me frantically. Apparently he lost track of me, could, didn't know where I was, <laughs> looked outside the front, outside the back, was just frantic, like, oh my gosh, she disappeared. And, you know, kind of turned around the corner and saw me sitting down with a guest <laughs> asking her how she was enjoying her meal. <laughs> so I guess she was a, a guest by herself. Yeah. And somehow I felt... Um, bad to see her dining alone, so I wanted to sit down and just kind of talk to her and see that making to make sure that she was enjoying herself. Yep. So it was a really funny story because you know he, this is like the beginning of him seeing me with him, you know, in the hospitality business mm. because you couldn't get more hospitable than that. No, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> you're looking after one of the most important guests, which is that person that does come to them, come to a venue by themselves, which right. which is so uh, so important to serve. Um, as such a powerful message. Um, right. When was there any point in time uh, growing up that you didn't think you'd be in hospitality? Was there some sort of pushback and and you you know rebelled and didn't want to go into hospitality, or was it was something you always thought you'd do? Well, I never really thought that I would stay in hospitality. Mm. I didn't feel a rebellion to it um, or against it, I guess. Yeah. Um, I never, I never felt that I, Oh, it was always a very positive experience. The restaurant has always been very success, successful and, you know, our, our being part of the neighborhood and part of the community, you know, my friends would come in with their parents. You know, we, I really grew up and Cafe Pierre really grew up, an integral part of the community. So mm. it was very, a very special place to work, to be part of, to learn from my dad, ex, you know, experience him. I learned so much from him, life lessons, uh, lessons in terms of, you know, how to be with people, um, business lessons. I learned, I mean, honestly, my whole being was formed by that experience mostly because I spent so much time you know, with him. And I would, so I never really felt it, like there was any negativity to it, except for perhaps, you know, knowing that my dad was occupied a lot, but we shared so much together that mm. I didn't feel that so much. But I will say that, uh, you know, when I, when I went to college, you know, I've always been a people person. I've always mm -hmm. been uh, a person that loves to connect with people. And so when I, when I went to college, I went to UCLA, I got my degree in psychology mm -hmm. and women's studies. And I thought that probably that I wanted to pursue, you know, a, 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 a career in, uh, I guess, psychology or mental health or, right. you know, that. Um, and so I, I spent 
a few years, I guess, exploring that at the same time as I worked with my father, um, because, you know, the money of work, you know, I grew up very fortunate to be making great money mm. in a fine dining restaurant, you know, at 18. So of course. putting, I put my, yeah, <laughs> I put my, myself through college. Um, and, but I really always had this in my heart, love connecting with people and kind of getting to know who they are, what makes them tick, um, seeing how I can make people's lives better. Mm. And that's always been, you know, part a natural part of me. So that initially as part of my career planning, <clears throat> I, uh, thought that that would be the path I would take. And so I explored that for a few years while I worked with my dad, um, and did end up finding that, uh, you know, as much as I love people and as much as I love connecting that I, I wasn't interested in spending all my time, you know, in kind of problems. And I think I, perf- I enjoyed very much being involved with people and making their lives, touching their lives somehow mm. and decided that that wouldn't be the path for me. I ended up, instead of going on to get my master's and PhD in psychology, I decided to go on and get my master's in business. Right. And with a marketing and finance specialization. And so that is that 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 was pretty much the only time I kind of moved away from the restaurant industry or from our family business. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always stayed involved. And yeah. I would imagine I would imagine that time at college has actually brought you better perspective and uh, a stronger mindset as you've gone into you know, a rebrand of what was a such a legendary venue for your father um, and moving that into Love and Salt, you know, uh, five years ago, I imagine that would have just given you even more credibility to move that business business forward. Do you think that's why you sort of did those things at college in order to make sure you had those skills? Well, you know, I, I wasn't, it wasn't really so much the plan that I would take over. Mm. Um, I always kind of, and, you know, I think it was more just because I loved business and I loved, you know, when I went back to get my business degree, um, I, I, I just, it was the best experience I'd ever had. It gave me, you know, as I worked in business and then was able to go to school and kind of learn the, you know, principles of success, running a successful business, it was really exciting for me to have a business that I could apply that to. Mm. And as... And I did that many years ago. Um, and as I started to apply those principles to our business and saw the growth and the improvement, it was very inspiring and very, I felt very, um, it just felt great to be able to, to do that. And so, uh, you know, I, I uh, opened a restaurant on my own right. um, about 15 years ago, um, sold that about three years ago, mm-hmm. um, that kind of the business, you know, once you get your, once I, once I got my master's in business, my mindset completely changed and it was really a growth mindset. Um, and so it was just about pursuing opportunities as they came along. And I never really thought of taking over, but, you know, kind of my dad as, as Cafe Pierre, you know, as it evolved and kind of changed in 2008, I think the dining landscape changed so much mm. in Los Angeles. Um, I would. I'm going to even venture to say, probably nationally, even it, there was so much. There was a lot of change, 
Um, and, and Cafe Pierre felt, we, we felt, you know, really time for a change. There was really just ourselves. There was just a paradigm shift, I think, at that time. And as we just talked about it and as we talked about what our future looked like and where we wanted to grow and how we wanted to grow, it became apparent that it would be, you know, that I would be leading the next, you know, I guess, stage of our growth and our, of our, you know, of our evolution. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, um, it, it, you've got such a depth of experience because you've seen one venue go through so many changes and obviously in 2008, I imagine you're, you're, you're talking about the financial crisis, which hit, um, all around the world, but especially in, uh, especially in the U S um, especially fine dining venues at that point in time, it would have been, would have been a big challenge. So, um, so you've done so well to, to re-evolve, um, the venue itself and turn into something as successful as, as what you've got now. So I really commend you for that. Um, thank you. When I was having a look on your website, Sylvie, you talk about restaurants only needing two things. One's the sensibility that informs the feeling and the second being the dishes on the menu. Can you explain to the audience what feeling you're trying to bring through the dishes? Because obviously you're talking about Italian-inspired dishes. Can you bring that into a bit more detail? Sure, sure. Well, I think, you know, for us, we are, you know, in, with regards more to the, the, the love part of mm-hmm. what we do is that it's really kind of a philosophy and approach that we take holistically, mm-hmm. which is not only just really putting a lot of love into our food and into the ingredients and, and into, you know, our offerings, um, food, beverage, uh, but, but it's also about the way we treat each other, mm-hmm. the way we treat our guests, the way we treat, the way we operate within. Mm-hmm. And uh, we take, it's, it's the highest of values for me and for our team to handle really every situation with love and respect. Understand. And Yes, and so we really work very hard to do that, mm-hmm. and and I think that that really communicates a lot about who we are, and I think people feel it. Our guests really express how much they appreciate, you know, the love and the care that we put into what we do. Um, so that's you know both from the from from all of our offerings, from you know the food, beverage, service, our approach. You know that's where the love part comes in, and then the salt. Um, the salt is so necessary for 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 beautiful food. Mm. Um, it's more just kind of um, an ingredient that you know you you add to to all food to enhance it. Um, and also, you know, we all I always laugh. It's kind of tongue in cheek with, within our team that we also like to live a little bit of a salty life. Right? <laughs> I mean, we like to have fun. Yes, we like to live a little bit on the edge. Yeah, we don't. Now we have fun, mm-hmm. and um, that's essentially kind of what the name embodies. I love that it's it's that balance, and and I think in hospitality and in life generally, we always need that balance. So I, that's where I really love where the name came from. I um I read in a 2017 article when I was doing some some research 
that uh, you're quoted as saying that uh, you have a people-centric approach to both your staff and your guests. Can you pinpoint really how you've um, created and maintained that? Because that's such an important um, part of, of successful hospitality. And, and you touched on it just before about uh, about that being part of Love and Salt. Do you, do you know how you sort of developed that over a period of time? Sure. Uh, it's, that's a great question. I mean, it's really easy to say, not so easy to do. Yes. But we are, you know, we're committed to do it. And I think, you know, I what we've learned over the years, and I think what we, we what we um, what we live by now is, you know, you really can't. For us, the primary, um, the first step is making sure that everybody that we bring on board the team. Um, has a very similar philosophy, mm-hmm. and that is you can't really force people to care. Yeah, we don't we don't try to force people to care. What we try to do is to bring people on board who live by a similar philosophy and who 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 are the philosophy of of loving and caring resonates with who they are. Mm-hmm. So we really try hard to first develop the relationships with the people that we bring on board um, who have that same kind of way of thinking. And I think that's probably one of the most critical um, things to, to creating that culture and maintaining it Mm -hmm. Um, because you can't really fight against a different way of thinking, you know? So, um, but we also, you know, we love to develop it. We love to, to, you know, reinforce it. Um, sometimes we're not all, all, you know, always on our best game. Mm-hmm. We're not always, um, you know, feeling positive. And so what we try to do is approach every situation that, that, that may be um, kind of not within our, you know, loving and caring philosophy. And we try to guide it um, in a direction or keep it positive or kind of create a negative into a positive mm. where we're all working towards that same I guess, goal, goal. of having, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you, because so, how big is your, roughly how big is your team uh, at the moment at Love and Salt, Sylvie? So uh, total on board, we have about 45 mm-hmm. employees. Yeah. Is that a, is that a, when you go out to recruit and bring in new people, obviously you've got, you've got such a, a depth of experience in the hospitality game. Is it, is it something, is it just a feeling for you, when you recruit someone new and you go, yeah, I think that person's going to execute it exceptionally well uh, on the floor, or I'm not sure if you if you bring your executive chef Chris into the into the foyer when you hire uh, kitchen staff. But is, is it something that's just a feeling for you, or do you have a uh, you know a pretty robust recruitment process when you bring new people into the fold? Well, I'm, I'm going to say it's probably a bit of both. Mm-hmm. I think that. You know, we have a great team and our team has this very similar approach. And so we all, you know, go off of our feelings and off of how we, the impressions we, that we get from, from, you know, people who were considering join us. Uh, part, you know, we partly rely on our gut feelings and kind of impressions or our intuition. But at the same time, we do have a slew of, kind of questions and kind of tests that tell us a lot about, 
you know, who we're talking to. Sure, sure. And, you know, we'll ask questions and we'll give scenarios kind of about, and that, that it help us, that inform us on kind of how the person thinks and how they approach, um, you know, guest service mm-hmm. and, uh, and people. Mm-hmm. For sure. So we have a, a you know, um, a, definitely a robust approach to kind of vetting and, and, you know, going into, you know, how we can confirm that our gut feeling is correct and, you know, feel confident about taking it to the next level. Yeah, because I think the thing I've learned in sort of the, the couple of decades I've been in hospitality is that you can be extremely, I think you're extremely good at recruitment, but until the rubber hits the road and someone starts <laughs> to actually interact with guests or you see how they work in a team, that you're never going to know how someone is. You know, your, uh, mm-hmm. your ego gets checked pretty quickly when I think you start recruiting people into this industry. So that's why I wanted to get your thoughts. Yes, that's very true. Mm. I love that part of it as well because, I mean, I think it, it just makes us better. It gets us, you know, we learn from it. Um, mm. And we try, we try to not let, you know, uh, something that's not a fit last too long. I think that's important. Yeah, of course. How do you go about evolving uh, your menu? Because obviously uh, Chris, who's your executive chef, he's, you know, uh, such great dishes that, that he's pushing out. How do you, how often are you changing the menu with Inside Love and Salt and, and how do you sort of go about doing that with him? Oh, it's, it's so much fun. I mm. think that's some of the funnest times that we have are evolving the menu. And I, I'm going to say that it really comes from Chris and Tracy, who's our chef de cuisine. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're inspiration. And then, you know, we collaborate on not so much, you know, on the menu development, we collaborate on kind of, um, you know, they'll bring so much inspiration from that, from themselves. And then we'll talk about it um, more from the marketing perspective or kind of perception. You know, I might give feedback on kind of what I think, how the menu needs to evolve yes. or kind of how it needs to, to touch our guest or kind of communicate who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll do a lot of that kind of guidance. Uh, and price point is important, you know, uh, you know, what the offerings are and making, making sure that they, that they reach a broad, um, range of, of tastes and preferences. So I kind of work with them from that perspective. Sure. And that's really pretty much my input. Otherwise they're just, you know, bringing everything and I get to be excited to see what they do, what they, <laughs> what they're thinking and what they want to do next. Yeah, for sure. Do you think it's obviously, you know, places like California and New York and uh, Chicago, that there's such powerhouses in, in regards to food in America. Is it hard as a successful brand like yours to continue to stay relevant and successful and look around you enough and what your competitors are doing to make sure you're ahead of the game, but also focus on what you're doing and not getting uh, not getting too much swayed in what the industry is doing. That's such a great question. Uh, great question. I I'm going to say, I mean, from my perspective, and I'm going to say probably from the perspective of the chefs as well. But mm-hmm. I I don't struggle with that. Um, I don't really struggle with that. I think. Uh, we are so 
into what we're doing and there's somehow there's, there's just a real pulse on, I guess, you know, we're just inspired ourselves. Mm -hmm. We'll get it, gain inspiration from others. We'll gain inspiration from all sorts of different sources. And that might be from other restaurants that might be from, you know, farms that might be, you know, from, we, we garner so much inspiration from all over Instagram. I mean, just, it's just Mm. endless that, you know, what you feel with the ideas that come to you that, that feel really right. They just kind of flow. And I think when you have a creative team, like we do that, who are really passionate people, it's not so much that you're in competition with others. You're really, it's really about almost just, you know, digging deep and really evolving yourself and what you do within and sharing that and sharing, you know, you really, it's really fun to share that with other, other industry people who are passionate and feel and do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a funny thing. You'd think that it would be about competition and watching others and, it, you know, it really isn't that. It's more competition with yourself at the end of the day, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really is, mm-hmm. which makes mm-hmm. it fun. Is it is it a challenge to make uh, to make sure you're set as an owner to make sure you're setting a environment in which your team can be creative all the time? Oh yes, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. I think for me, that's the most important. Uh, I'm always about making sure that I'm balancing support, you know, providing resources and um, making sure that I don't, that, that, that the support isn't perceived as, I guess, um, man, you know, managing micromanaging, right. Micromanaging Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, and so I'm, oh, and, and I, so I really, I overextend myself to make sure that everyone feels supported and I am the first to, to back off and, and let everyone fly. I think that's the, I work really hard at that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I express it to my team very adamantly and regularly that, you know, and in most times that I communicate, I say, you know, I'm just a thought I'm, I'm just, you know, just throwing it out. And what do you think? And, um, it's, yeah, it's very important to me. Mm. Just always asking for collaboration, I suppose. Yes. Mm. Yes. And checking in with other people and how they feel. Cause that's, it's really important. Everybody has really valid and important input. Mm. Most definitely. Most definitely. Sylvia, I was going to ask, I, I, I did a podcast recently uh, with the team from Rosa Blue, uh, Dina and, and Hans, who obviously, like yourself, have, a, have an amazing Californian uh, restaurant. Uh, and, and I wanted to, and I talked to, talked to them, especially to Hans, about how he regenerated his, himself. Now, you've got, a, you've got a team of 45 people. That's no small feat of day-to-day making sure that team is – uh, creative and collaborative and, and enjoying themselves. But how do you take time out for yourself to make sure that you are delivering on the, those expectations for yourself and your team? Right. Such a great question because, you know, what, my personality, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I'm all in, right? 
Mm-hmm. So how do I kind of recharge? Yes. How do I kind of unplug and and keep that that energy and that that you know kind of um, I guess the energy and mm. the, the strength to keep to keep it up, right? So I have a, a beautiful family, mm-hmm. and I spend a lot of time. I've, uh, I have a seventeen-year-old. I have a, a one-year-old. Um, I have a fantastic husband who's super super supportive. Yeah. of what I do and he's been in the business forever as well so he knows mm-hmm. um, so I spend time with my family I spend you know I, I love to spend time reading um, I love to go out and you know explore other areas uh, that's always really fun and important um, so I just try to get out and, and, and see new things and things that are not necessarily related to the restaurant business but it's always mm-hmm. about lifestyle, right? It's always about, you know, having fun and, and seeing and exploring. So yeah, I find absolutely. my, yeah, I find my, I recharge when I get out and explore and kind of not think about the restaurant for sure. Yeah. I, I think, I think you'd probably hopefully agree with this. So I think that comes over time in knowing that balance. I think the word balance gets thrown around a lot um, and making sure you have the right balance. But I think the, the positive thing about um, hospitality professionals generally is they're very intuitive. So to know when that balance should actually come into play and you need to look after yourself as well as looking after the rest of your team. Right. Mm. Right, for sure. Um, so you've obviously got an amazing brand here. Are there any new projects you're sort of looking into doing soon? Because you've got, you've got strength, you've got experience, is there something you uh, are looking uh, past love and salt that we can talk about? Well, yeah, uh, I, we are. I, I am, I've been working on a project for a while, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which is, you know, uh, more at the conceptual level and still it's a, uh, so it's not really live and an active, ready to activate, mm-hmm. but um so I've been working on, you know, I've, I've been working on a Middle Eastern brand, okay. um, something that's a little bit fast, fresh. Um, you know, I've, I love my husband's Persian and he's been, oh, okay. um, Persian, you know, they've had, he and his family have had the first Persian restaurants for 50 years wow. here in Los Angeles. Um, so, so yeah, so I've been working on, on that for mm-hmm. a bit, um, mm-hmm. and kind of ready to to activate it a bit. Um, mm-hmm. although I'm kind of, you know, we also have a catering company, so I'm pretty busy for sure. Yes. Um, and sometimes I, you know, I, I weigh out growth versus what we have. And, um, but I have been working on that, that brand and that idea for a long time. I love, I'm super passionate about it. I love to make that happen. Um, and I think Chris, and Tracy are a great team to do that with, um, you know, with my husband, um, because of their passion about Middle Eastern food as well. So Mm -hmm. that could be something that could be fun to develop. Um, but yeah, so we definitely are always looking at growth for sure. Do you think it's just a case in point of, you know, you're sitting on such great concept that you know is going to work. Is it, is it just to try and find the right, the right location and just see if that organically happens or is it just a feeling with 
where Love and Soul is at the moment. Well, location is always really important, but the I think the the uh, the way I'm approaching this particular brand is a little bit more about scalability, I guess, um, than it is location. You know, developing a brand that that scales, but at the same time is keeps the integrity of the ingredient mm-hmm. um, and the product. You know, I'm looking at that. So it's a little bit more of a developmental project on the front end, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, as opposed to what Love and Salt was, you know, Love and Salt was an idea. We had a location and we, we were able to develop it at the same time just because we weren't thinking in terms of scaling. Yes. But, um, but this is a little bit more of a, you know, a project that takes quite a bit at the front end. And then once you have kind of got the, the concept and the branding and the, the, the way you, the implementation plan, you know, then, then you can kind of just go live, but you Mm. can go a little faster. Sounds amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so we, the most important question and final question I'll ask you today is, what is your most favorite dish at the moment at Love and Salt? Because I've looked at the menu <laughs> and I'm like, holy God, I need to move to California now. And um, so I wanted to hear from the owner's perspective, what's your favorite thing that you've been eating at your own venue uh, lately? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. You, is this, this is like the hardest question you've asked so far. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, um, holy moly. Uh, I'm going to say – that my most fi- well, I everything is really I love, and it's mm. really a hard if you, if I have to have to pin down one thing that's my favorite right now. Yep, I'm gonna probably say the Castelfranco Radicchio salad. Wow. Okay. Excellent. And I know it's so simple. But yes. The but you know traditionally or typically you think of radicchio as a bitter. Um, leaf and mm-hmm. the idea of having it in a salad just doesn't sound, I mean, it just sounds like it's going to be bitter, but the Castelfranco Radicchio is not bitter. And the way that Chris has composed it with, you know, the, the Pecorino Romano, the lemon vinaigrette and Saba, um, it, it's beautiful. It is so simple and so beautiful um, that I just, I, I kind of can't have, I has to have, it has to accompany everything I have. So mm-hmm. as I, you know, am in the mood for something, you know, like our mussels or, you know, like the bronzino or a salad or a pizza, it kind of always has to come with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't outgrown it yet. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. And, <laughs> and, I, and I think often the, the most simple things with the most well balanced are the best. So, so I think that's yeah. a really, really great point. Uh, now, Sylvie, I want to thank you so much for, for being on the podcast today. What is, what's the best way for someone to research about Love and Sold and, and then find out where you, where you guys are? Uh, probably just, uh, I guess I would say just Google us. At, um, mm-hmm. You know, if you can Google Love and Salt Los Angeles, Google Love and Salt Manhattan Beach. Um, it's a pretty easy, it's a distinct name. So if you put Love and Salt in, you're probably going to hit us pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the internet, probably it would be the best thing. There's a whole, on our website, there's a whole bunch of stuff about our story, our press, lots of, lots of, lots of ways to learn about what we're doing. Absolutely. Uh, Sylvie Gabrielle, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And, uh, I look forward to coming, being in your restaurant, hopefully very soon. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate so much you having me. It was such a pleasure. And I do hope that you 
will come visit us soon. Thank you so much. Cheers. Okay. okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Open Pantry Podcast. I hope you really enjoyed it. Thank you so much to Sylvie from Love and Salt LA. I can't wait to go and experience a dish in that fantastic restaurant sometime soon. So I appreciate her time. Uh, I hope you really are getting something out of these podcasts as we delve in further into people's careers and it's helping you with your restaurant, your cafe or your career and how you're growing in the industry. Something we really want to create here at Open Pantry Podcast. So hope you enjoyed it. Let me know what you think. Just hit me up on Instagram under Open Pantry Consulting or on Twitter under Open Pantry Co. Until next time, have a great, great day.